Welcome to Across the Pond, Marketing Transformed. It's Samuel here, and I'm joined by my awesome co-host, Chris Lawson. Say hi, Chris. Hey, Sam. How are you doing? Yeah, it's um, it's kind of coming towards the end of the season, so I'm a bit sad. But I, I, won't, I won't tell the audience that. No, don't, don't tell them, because you know, we, we've still got a few things in store, haven't we? Yeah, uh, and we, you know, we put a lot of effort into each of the episodes. And what I love about this season is we're we're building on some great guests we've had, and ideas and inspiration from them, and just some some sort of noodling we've done since that. Similar to to um, the rest of the season, we had a great conversation last week with Alan Adamson, and we're just going to go into some of the things he shared, um, some of the ideas that we've built off based on our conversation and Alan Adamson he's a co-founder and managing partner at Metaforce he's got a, a book he's always writing he's always come up with new stuff the most recent one that we've um, taken a look at it's called Shift Aheads how do brands stay relevant in today's fast changing world and you know that's an ever more pertinent question now than ever uh, when you look at his LinkedIn profile he talks about his his expertise in in, diff- in the different disciplines of branding works across so many consumer and corporate businesses, packaged goods, tech, healthcare, financial services, hospitality. And he's such a compelling speaker. He's got a knack and experience of balancing theory and practice. And we'll talk a little bit about that. He's also a frequent guest lecturer and an adjunct. Um, He's taught at University Stern in um, New York. Um, He's taught at the Graduate School of Management at Cornell and Harvard, um, continuing education. So he's he's really got that that great sweet spot between theory and practice. I just suggest to the audience, check out an article he's written on Forbes. uh, And it's about his take on the actor Justin Long, um, who's known in the US as a familiar face of the Mac um, series of Mac versus PC commercials where Apple basically forced consumers to directly compare Apple with PCs and guess what invariably showed how Apple literally became the human persona that clearly made you more in touch, more relevant, more effective and admired. So using Apple was essentially how you could be that hero in that ad. And so Intel, Intel have hired this formerly Mac guy um, to say, no, 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 secretly after all, I was actually... Um, really into PCs. Someone didn't sort their exclusivity clause out of the contract, did they? Yeah, and well, I mean, Alan doesn't think it's going to work well, and and I have I kind of tend to agree because at first glance, it's, it's an ad campaign with a great twist, right? You're using the Mac guy to get you to stop and take another look at why a PC is better, mm. or or does it? You know, after watching a couple more of the ads in the series, I started to sense an, like a knot in my stomach because it, I had flashbacks of just how darn complicated and arduous it was actually to pick my latest pc which i bought um, a couple of months ago do i now need a folding screen which brand should i actually go for what what freaking pencil or stylus works with my lenovo touchscreen i so many choices and, and i can't this and i still haven't figured out which, which blooming i was going to swear there um pencil or stylus works so i've got all these negative feelings and like my heart only one brand story reassures me for its quality its design and ability to do what i need oh shoot i should have got an apple mac right yeah well look we haven't got enough time to work out why you didn't but but there is theory and there is practice sam and and hey perhaps i been sucked into that mac ecosystem too much uh still frustrates the hell out of me, the constant upgrades that are required. And it's infuriating. Mm-hmm. Although I've got to say, the, the live chat, I think, is a excellent mm. experience. And I still buy and buy 
<laughs> Mac product. So, um, so yeah, who knows? Maybe I've been sucked into the power of branding too much. But anyway, we're going to get to that a bit later on, that power of branding, and tease up nicely thinking about theory versus practice, doesn't it? One of the things we, we, we constantly re- wrestle with is this idea of theory versus practice. And I, I remember how I got my first job as a brand man- manager eons ago. At the time, I was a marketing manager at Safeway, the grocery retailer, which is in the UK at the time. Um, we actually, we first met, Chris, this was the early 2000s. It is indeed. And a part of the process then for this new job, after I left you behind in my, in my shadow, my wake, part of the process was to answer a case study uh, question on how to launch a new product line from, from a Gillette brand. So I'm writing a case study, try and get this job. And I, I recall I referenced some, some of the books and thought leaders behind the frameworks of marketing communication. One of the uh, notable frameworks is it's called ADA, A-I-D-A, attention, interest, desire, action. It's very linear and it implies like one-way journey of communication. But I just felt advertising wasn't going to work well for this product I, that I was building a case for, which relied on the healthcare category. And it's really influenced by consumer advocacy and health-conscious consumers who are doing research. Uh, and it was being transformed by the internet and two-way communication. So I'll fast forward and say, yes, I got the job and received feedback that my, my case response was a bit theoretical. I think I was supposed to be, a, I think that was supposed to be a negative, but it stuck with me as a positive because I was arguing that the consumer journey wasn't linear. So how could advertising in that traditional way be the answer? I think, though, one of the things that will always sort of uh, get leveled at marketing directors or even marketing executives is you have to make it practical, don't you? I'll sum up the art and science of balancing this theory versus practice discussion with one of my driving principles. And we we actually talked about it from the get-go of our podcast, episode four, role models, heroes and icons who we admire in marketing. There's this fabulous quote, it's the illiterate of the 21st century are not those who cannot read or write, but the ones who are not able to learn, unlearn and relearn. I, I think that might be one of my favorite quotes out of all of the episodes, to be honest. Yeah, that's a quote by Alvin Toffler. It's a futurist who wrote Future Shock. And I love that. And I keep coming back to that. Every time I kind of reflect back, it always comes to this, this challenge of marketing transformation and the work we do. It's about learning. So there are ideas, approaches, techniques that continue to be true today. And you can help you win and succeed in what we're doing. You're going to immerse, be open and master the craft of marketing with those techniques. But you still need to unlearn. There are ideas, approaches, biases, and principles that you just basically have to let go of. And in advertising, we need to unlearn this fixed top-down awareness, interest, desire, action. It's just not fit for purpose today. I think people, most people agree with that. All the marketing planning approach of setting up and forgetting, you know, the set it and forget it is just, again, not fit for purpose. Because we're in this digital world and we have to interact and respond on a you know on a daily constant basis and we just can't operate in that linear way and then finally it's about relearning and that's an awesome space where we need to invest most of our time where we need to remix and revisit what makes sense for today and yes you know word of mouth is also the same as word of tweet so get why social is relevant to your brand and that two-way communication or what i've called earlier in my career, an advertorial has now become a native ad. It's exactly the same thing, just in a different platform and context. Mm. And so just staying relevant for today. And, you know, a lot of CMOs are still resistant and sneer about social. Hopefully in the last few few months um, during COVID, they've kind of realized how it does actually help drive growth and business performance. 
I found in my experience, a lot of CMOs and CEOs, when you walk into their offices, when you connect with them, they still have a lot of books on their shelves. I think books still exist. And they actually probably haven't read them. So a tip that I always give to people is that if you see a book behind a CMO or if you've um, read, read it, um, read a book, you know, definitely do this. Or if you're just listening to, to this during COVID and you're remote, when you connect with that senior leader, just ask a question about what they're reading. Just come back to them and use that as your excuse or your, you know, your approach to build a, a relationship and share what you've learned and how they can impact the business with the ideas you're bringing. Use that because you're now connecting. And from most of my experience, mostly just don't have the time to actually read the books or read the articles or even turn the article they've read into an actionable set of actions and next steps. Too busy listening to our podcast. That's why, Sam. Well, there you go. But I mean, fascinating though. It reminds me of um, that story of moving from theory to practice. And, And again, how I got my job at Safeway was writing a letter directly to this brilliant guy who headed up this new function. Um, and his name was Stephen Taylor. He went on to run Yahoo for EMEA, now lives in San Fran, working on many sort of fast-paced startups, a really, really incredible career and inspirational guy. And at Safeway, he just set up the loyalty scheme and reorganized the marketing department about customer mm-hmm. segments. It was all about relationship marketing. And I actually wrote to him and, and said, look, I really get the fact that this isn't a one-size-fits-all approach and that it should be about relevance and personalization, which, again, really has almost been the making of my career. He he invited me in for an interview. I joined a team that was full of grads that have um, come from more traditional roots than me. And, and I guess that's really the start of me putting that theory into practice. That was a that was a direct response campaign in itself and uh, just shows that you can't just sit there on the sidelines. You have to take proactive action. I just think there's also this practice to theory application as well. And as an adjunct professor, one, one seemingly perhaps tactical nudges that I've given my students is having walked the shoes of a CMO, I'm always applying that to projects and assignments and coursework and that point of view and it's as basic as getting the brand name spelled correctly on the assignment or not um, getting that wrong is an instant disqualifier in most pitches and so don't be the agency or the marketer that spells proctor as in procter and gamble with an or at the end instead of an er i used to dock points for my students and they explained to them look that mistake could have cost you a seven-figure account win as a, as a practical impact of getting that name wrong so I think one of the other things that we talked about uh, with Alan was that role of culture in marketing. And and it's definitely something worth reflecting on here and, and reminding ourselves what culture is. It's about ideas, it's customs, and it's social behaviors. And it, the two are so intrinsically linked, marketing and culture, because the brands that we most admire help define a culture, and yet culture inspires a brand as well. And we shouldn't forget that before they're mainstream, they're normally underground or trendsetters. And that equally applies to a cultural tre- trend or indeed a brand itself. Mm. Um, I think some of the things that we we take for granted at the moment, and but we know is going to change, you take something as, as simple as sort of public spaces or how businesses and brands occupy public mm. spaces. And it, it's going through a dramatic rethink. You think about... The Genius Bar, WeWork, they're, they're two that come to mind from a business perspective where 
they're almost part of this sort of cultural phenomenon. And then they're now going to need to rethink exactly how those work again and, and how those brands um, actually sort of fulfill themselves in the, the sort of post-pandemic world as we mm. sort of come out and we more get more back to these physical spaces. But it's also it's interesting if you think about um, the super clubs, the dance clubs, which are still really struggling to open or find their place in, in the UK and know when they may well open. And you wonder whether music may well have another redefinition because of the need for more seated or outdoor venues. So does does that affect dance music, for instance? Does it tone down so that these venues can also be used for multi-entertainment? Or does it actually increase the decibel level because it recognises that it's only really going to be listened to at festivals now rather than internal mm. venues? The examples are numerous, but what I was struck by when we spoke to Alan was that he was talking about going behind the usual suspects. And, and as he put it, he said, to me, it's really critical for success in marketing, because if you don't see what's happening around you, you can't help your clients figure out where to go. Mm. And when I look for inspiration, I look for reading something that I haven't read before or seeing a movie that I haven't seen before. And and that that really sort of struck me because that thirst for knowledge is an essential quality. And you shouldn't just look for it on social media. Look for it in history, look for it in books, look for it in culture. And that's also about conversations with real customer. And I think that's what really helps define you, mm. whether you're going to be a trendsetter or an also-ran. Does that ring true to you, Sam? Yeah, it's linking back to this idea of actually studying the studying the frameworks, the tools, and actually knowing that stuff before you can then learn how to sort of relearn how to move in, in a different direction. Yeah, and I'm working with a brand at the moment over in the UK called Gravity Entertainment. And, and at the moment, they believe that they have seen the future and they are seizing it. And these are, these are two guys that have set up a really successful organization running trampoline parks, rock climbing and the like, <laughs> all across the UK and uh, across uh, sort of, uh, some of the rest of the world as well. And at a time where the high street is having a really tough time and there's demise of sort of established retailers and incredibly well-known retailers such as Debenhams falling into disrepair, they're reclaiming the high streets. You know, they're helping sort of bring fun back to the high streets. And as Debenhams has pulled out of a massive site in Wandsworth, they have moved in. And it's an, it's an audacious thing to do. It's 80,000 square foot of space. This is a huge area. Mm. And they're redefining it as an e-karting experience and an immersive experience through the streets of Tokyo and downtown New York, along with state-of-the-art bowling and golf and darts and, and e-gaming as well. But I think the fascinating thing there is that they've taken a seed of an idea, which is about active entertainment, and absolutely exploded it. You know, they're... They're childhood friends, chalk and cheese in some way, but driven by this inspired vision to, to bet the house on the fact that a generation will be crying out for experience and entertainment as soon as we are out of lockdown, however long that takes. But I think they are born innovators, Sam, and this was one of the things that we discussed with Alan about routine disruption, about the sort of this natural nature of carrying on in innovation, those that constantly tear up the rule book as a matter of routine. Mm. And, and I also like the fact that 
one of the best articles I found on the matter came from EY. So perhaps a leper can change their spots. Um, you know, a, quite a traditional organisation or consultancy in some cases. But what I liked about it was that it dealt with the practicality, not the theory of disruption. And it talked about the fact that you have to ask and be asked uncomfortable questions. Be, get ready for change and consider the reality of the future of your organisation allowing you to plan alternative futures. And I thought that was quite powerful, that that point about planning alternative futures. And mm. something that we've talked about before is is making sure you've got that contingency plan of point A, point A, B, and, and so on and so on. And again, I was struck by the fact that Alan said that one of his biggest regrets was not seizing that entrepreneurial path early, although when you read out his bio, it's quite clear that he's done that huge amount of other things mm. in the meantime. And and it's interesting if you think about influences which could be considered on the cutting edge of culture now. At time of COVID, you know, there was there was a group of influencers that clearly struggled. You'd look at sort of travel influencers, for instance, um, due to the nature of the post. But fitness influencers absolutely thrived because in a way they adapted their platform to still do well and made sure that they adapted their content to cover home workouts and capture a different audience as well as the one they already had. And they will come out stronger and fitter. No pun intended or deliberate pun intended. No pun intended, of course, Sam. I'll leave the puns to you. Um, but, you know, we we covered this in episode 29 about acting with purpose during a crisis and about how, how we sort of use that strength, that inner strength that you've got to try and create a mindset to get you through tough times. So routine disruption is very much about how you adapt that mindset mm. to, to deal with positive change um, and the need for change as well. And I think there's some good examples of that all around us. Yeah, you've given a lot of stimulus there on ways to think about this idea of routine disruption as I was reflecting back on my career I think I've got a great example that links back to both this idea of routine disruption and also the area earlier point we were talking about of theory versus practice and a, a, a story and idea I shared back in episode 11 of um, the rise of the engagement ha- hacker and it was a time when I was working on the Kenmore brand at Sears and where I changed my mind basically and I unlearned the idea of recruiting new consumers to actually relearn how to do retention and referral. And the inspiration came from a guy called Joseph Jaffe, and he'd written a book called Flip the Funnel. And it was making me think about how, you know, how business worked and creating a, a relationship management ecosystem and targeting existing consumers. So I started to realize the opportunity to actually target existing owners of our products. And the, the the premise here is the average purchase cycles at least every seven years for large thousand dollar appliances. And it was a way to try and provide a sustainable platform that would give us some brand advocacy and referral that would actually leverage some of the communication and, that we had going on. And so essentially to support the higher online conversion rates, things like small appliances and re- replacement parts. So what we did was focus about retaining consumers and when they came back in or were purchasing a small appliance from an existing Kenmore brand, be it a toaster oven or a coffee maker or a kettle, and using that relationship to get them to actually stay with us, to talk about us more, to refer their experiences with our products. And when it comes to food and cooking, people like to talk about stuff organically, 
and naturally. And you get a new washing machine that washes faster and drier, dries better than what you used to have. You kind of want to share that. And actually, because you're saving time and you can get on with other things in your life, you actually want to tell your friends and your peers and your neighbors that it's something that you know they can emulate. So, so after that retention part, and referral part. Then came the recruiting part, which is about leveraging those brand lovers to recruit the new prospects and purchasers. But I have to admit, it was really tough to get buy-in because it was about unlearning the prospecting and relearning the role of existing consumers and customers. And that was just so antithetical at the time I was doing that, maybe sort of a decade ago. And I was able to get some support via customer satisfaction programs because we found that troubleshooting and mitigating problems through social was truly powerful because it was faster and easier than actually using the call center or the help center or even trying to contact the store. Uh, And so that for me was a, a great way of making that disruption in an ongoing cycle. So we're going to have to end this episode on a big, juicy topic that I loved us, the fact we covered with, with Alan in that episode when we interviewed him. And it's the idea of brand versus branding. And these two words are often used interchangeably. And he asked the question of what is the difference between brand and branding? So I'll give the audience a moment to reflect. I think a few, I heard a few people shout out their answers. <laughs> So Alan's definition, which we love, is the brand is what you want people to remember. It's your story, what you stand for, who you are, and and if you're different. And branding is how you get that story in people's head. And it's such a simple definition, but a complex idea to actually execute well. I'm a brand fanatic, so you're probably going to expect me to pontificate now about ideas and brand speak, but I'm going to surprise you by making my brand point a metrics point. And one of the biggest misconceptions I faced in the is the perception that you can't actually measure brand. You need to bring data to an opinion party as a marketer. And this is an Achilles heel that I've successfully defended. And you can actually, there's proof that you can measure brands and the impact of shifting a brand's positioning. And I'll give a shout out to one of the tools for, for metrics that I've used successfully to show PL impact of brand health, and it's called Brand Asset Valuator. And that's a methodology that I've had a lot of success with relating to brand health, because it really does a good job of putting real data and actionable attributes and insights and the elements into what's building up a brand. It helps you figure out how to meaningfully differentiate your brand And what's relevant or not to your consumer in relation to your brand and your category? What's the true insight that's driving your brand performance versus other drivers? You can actually see the results over time and in relation to competition. You can actually see the shift in consumer behaviors linked to the shift in your brand positioning. Or worse, you can see how they've shifted their brand that's led to brand growth. Mm. And so this is something that I I always teach students uh, and often have to educate the practitioners when I'm sort of in my office world as well, because it's often more of a motivator. And I've also seen it as to be the most informative and actionable explainer of actually the business performance. So a lot of numbers, a spreadsheet and a P&L. But if you actually have this brand data, you can explain what's happening within the business much better than a P&L spreadsheet can actually ever give you. And so if you want to go back, check out episode 13, Measuring Marketing Success, um, Putting Metrics into Action. It's a great resource on how to measure the right things to have the right brand impacts. 
Yeah, such an important point. I mean, even back in the day in episode 13, one of the points we said is that if you can't measure it, then don't do it. Mm. And, and one of the reasons why we dedicated the whole of Series 4 to trying to create an agile marketing action plan was to get across the fact that marketing isn't rocket science. It's simply marketing, and we shouldn't overcomplicate it, but we should measure it. Mm-hmm. And, and back to an Alan quote, which uh, you know I think is you know, a really nice that definition is brand is what you want people to remember, your story, what you stand for, and who you are. Uh, again, uh, it really starts with the customer. The customer has to define what your brand is. It's your job to anticipate what the customer wants, but it's also your job to adapt to it. And that adaption could be an evolution or it could be transformation. When we set up Marketing Transformed, we were clear that the examples where this was happening were big and small. And there are some great examples of tech-orientated companies with a human touch that we brought out in episode 31 as well. So just because you're a SaaS-orientated business, this equally applies to you. You have to think about where does your where does your brand go and, and how do you adapt to what your customer wants. And do remember that being customer first is not just about a label, it's about acting on it, even when it appears to go against commercial sense because you have to play the long game there. And my top tip is to start with an audience of one and make a difference there. Mm. And then once you made a difference to that one, then move on to the next one. Um, so I think I think it's a it's a really good place, really, for us to sort of start closing out, isn't it, Sam? Yeah, the, the, we talked a, a lot about brand here. And my closing point is that it's been a recurring message again this season is, of course, storytelling matters. One caveat I keep telling marketers is, of course, brand matters. Branding is absolutely key, but storytelling, when done well, makes the customer the hero. So, yes, whatever you do, make sure you unlearn that brand is always first. Relearn that the brand has a lot of space for stories that your audience cares about. The act of branding is ensuring that your customers, your consumers, your shoppers or your users, whatever you call them, that they actually see themselves and relate to your brand. One example that stands out to me right now is IKEA have really done this nicely. Uh, in in recent times, they've they've started up selling spare parts for their products, and they're dialing up their second hand and their vintage messaging alongside their spare parts expansion because they they're going a, bit, a little bit deeper than simply jumping on this green and sustainable bandwagon, and it's an example of a brand fixing a real customer and consumer pain point. Plus, they're making the brand a little bit more relevant and a little bit more meaningful by sending the right signals and symbolizing that. This time, it's not always about pushing consumption of new items, while they're also allowing consumers to tell a story that they don't simply produce disposable goods at IKEA. There's actually this sustainable element. And it's clearly not a differentiator because others can copy it, but it's surely a great step that will be emulated by other brands, but also that IKEA can lead and help lead others through. So look, Sam, why don't you give us three key takeouts and reflections? Firstly, brand is effective when it's customer and consumer first, where the people it serves actually see and feel themselves in the brand. Secondly, make room to learn the theory as long as you test it out and actually put it into practice. And thirdly, because marketing transformation or routine disruption is acceptance of the fact that you have to learn, unlearn, 
and relearn. Wow. Well, you know, that's a good place to leave it, I think. And next week, we've got a wrap-up of the season. Uh, it's, it's been a really interesting season for us, uh, having the interviews with some uh, some really wise people that we respect a lot. And um, it'd be good just to reflect on that and uh, draw some of those themes out. Yeah, I think we've had a great season, so don't get too teary-eyed. There is one more episode to come this season, so I'm looking forward to that, audience, followers, fans, family members, and as always, without further ado, have a great week across the pond. So if you're an entrepreneur, rising star, or CMO looking for new ideas, find us at marketingtransform.com and on Spotify, Apple, Google, and all good podcast platforms.